So as they're leaving, I'm looking up at the clock. And I think you guys are messed up. And I say that is because I have about an hour. And I can take it. But I'm not going to I'm not going to take that long. But I do like to talk. See, the, the first service, you have to kind of be more precise because you have like, you have to get in and out. Other people are coming. Do not what? I know. I'm, I'm joking. I'm joking. I know. I got it. No, I'm, I'm joking. <laughs> no, understand the difference between white church and black church. Uh, there's a, there's a. <laughs> there's a video I should show you guys one time. Some of you guys have already seen it. It's pretty funny. As a, you know, black church when I went when I was younger, it would go all day. You know, we'll start at 10, be 3, 4 o'clock before we got out of there sometime. And I don't know what we did. We just was there for a long time. So, no, I'm not going to do that. I understand there's a, there is a cutoff. And I know even last week I went close to 12, but hey, got to give what God has given me to give. But I do want to keep in mind, I do understand that uh, I don't have, this isn't black church. I don't have all that time. So I do understand that. So before we start, let's pray. And then uh, we can get into it. So, Father, thank you so much for uh, your love for us, God. Thank you that uh, we can be here as community. We can be here as believers and uh, just share um, in your word, God, share with each other to build each other up and encourage each other. I pray, Lord, as we are going to get into your word, that um, you will be glorified with everything that happens here. Let your spirit be at work in me. Um, any words that, that I want to say that is from me and not from you, God, take them away. Lord, I pray for the spirit of the, those who are here, that they will um, be at work, that they may um, see your word and um, not just be hearers of it, but doers of it. And so I just pray as we um, just get into this, as we look to um, be built up and be instructed by you, we just pray, Lord, that um, Jesus is glorified. And this is in his name we pray. Amen. So, so last week, as we were doing this series called Conform to the, the Image of Christ, and um, we kind of, Romans 8, kind of gave us the picture of us being molded, us being you know, made into image, and no matter what, it was our destiny that that was, that was going to happen if it was, it was us as believers. If you were here as a believer, it is your destiny to be conformed into his image. So that means no matter what happens in your life, the good, the bad, or ugly, no matter what, all those things are working to a particular purpose, and that purpose is to make you like Christ. Then a couple chapters later in Romans 12, it talked about things that were not to be conformed to, or the, the word conformed there meant blueprint, things that were not supposed to, uh, to be blueprinted to, and that is the ways of the world, like the, the culture. So we're talking about the American blueprint for us is that we're not to be blueprinted or following that, that blueprint that America has for us, that's not what God has for. We can't be conformed to his image if we're following that blueprint. And so that made a couple of thoughts go through my mind. And so we're going to look at some of these, these thoughts or questions that I ask myself and I have for you guys. So what if? These are what if statements. What if we made our decisions, all of our decisions, free from the influence of the American dream? Think about that for a second. Just think about if... The, the cultural blueprint that America has put on us, what if that could be erased? What if we can do a restart, a redo? And that can be 
be taken away, how would things be different in our lives? Think about it. Where will we live? Will we live in a different place? Or how will we spend our money? Would our money be spent in a, in a different way if it wasn't after this cultural mindset that we have? What would retirement look like for you? Would that be different if it was based on what God says or, or this, this new concept, if it was based on the mind of Christ? Would our, would our retirement look different? Just, just think about that, Kings. What if, what, what if this happened? If we could do a reset, what would be different about our lives? And so this brought up this discussion in our, our small group last week. So we started talking about church. And it said, just, just imagine, we have about 200 people who, who come to our church. Just imagine if we had 200 people, and, and maybe that translates to 75 families or whatever. But just imagine if we didn't have the cultural mindset that, that we have now, but we decided, you know what? This community of believers is the first thing that we're going we're to worry about. Maybe when I bought my house, I wasn't worried more about property taxes or I wasn't worried about, you know, necessarily the school district first and foremost. What if I said, this is my community of believers, so we're all going to live in the same community? What kind of difference you think we would make in a community if we had 200 believers from a local congregation all living life around each other in a community? Just think about it. Think about if all of our kids went to the same schools. And we were all a part of, you know, the PTA or whatever that was in the school district. Think about it. What if we all our kids played around in the same kind of sports or we grocery shopped at the same places? Do you think there would be like a huge difference in our community? And what if all churches did that? So it wasn't just our church, but this church here had believers that all did life together that was in this community. Can you imagine the impact that we could have? Because remember in, in, in Acts, it said all the believers had one thing in common. They had, they had one mindset. And it said that gave them favor with the people around them, and God added to their number because of it. So can you imagine if, if we could just reset and, do, and have church like that? Man, like what an amazing thing I think that we can have if we actually lived in a community and we did life together as a body of Christ. That's not culturally normal. But if we could just reset that, that mindset, if we could reset it, man, I think we could make a huge difference in the community that's around us because it's about us being the body of Christ to the world. If you think about what Jesus did, we're talking about being, having the mind of Christ. Jesus came here as a representation of who God was, right? He came, he left his comfort zone, came here, and said, I'm going to be a representation of who God is, what God is like. Ultimately, he came here to rescue us, but he came and showed us what God was like by coming here. And so if we are the body of Christ, now that he's gone, shouldn't we be the representation of who Christ is to the world? And I think about it, so how can the body, how can we be, how can we fully represent Jesus is if our body is so disjointed? If we have an arm that's 30 minutes away and we have a foot that's right here, but we have a head that's, you know, 30 minutes on the other side, it's hard to really be in community with each other. Because when I think about it, I see some of you guys every Sunday. That's it. Right? Like, how personal do we know each other, really? Not much. 
So just think about the difference we would have if we were actually living in community together. And again, this is, this is just thoughts that come, that come off my head. I'm not coming up here starting a revolution saying everybody sell your houses. And I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying this is just thoughts that go through my head. Like if we really could just get away from the blueprint that we've been brought up and taught with, I think we could make such a difference and we have to start thinking differently. And so while you're there, go on your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 14. And this is kind of going to just move us into our main passage of Luke chapter 15. But we're going to start in Luke chapter 14, starting in chapter in verse 25. And this is a familiar passage, and nothing that we're going to look at today is anything that's earth-shattering or groundbreaking or anything new, but there's a couple points I want to kind of to pull out of it. So Luke chapter 14, 25, we're going to read through that, 25 down to 35. I'm going to read through that, follow along with me, and then we're going to pull out a couple points in this. So Luke chapter 14, it says this. Now great crowds were traveling with him, talking about Jesus. So he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me, does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, wanting to build a tower, doesn't first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, after he has laid the foundation and cannot finish it, all the, onlook, all, all the onlookers will begin to make fun of him, saying, this man started to build and wasn't able to finish. Or what king, going to war against another king, will not first sit down and decide if he was able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000? If not, while the other is still far off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. In the same way, therefore, every one of you who does not say goodbye to all his possessions cannot be my disciple. Now salt is good, but if salt loses its taste, how will you be made salty? It isn't fit for the soil or for the manure power. They throw it out. Anyone who has, a ear, has ears to hear should listen. And there's a lot that can be brought out from those kinds of things. But there's, there's a thing that Jesus is trying to get across. And I just want you guys to, to catch this picture. If Jesus is saying, if you're going to follow me, your priorities have to be different. With whatever the cultural norm or the things that you've grown up with, those things have to be different. Now, just think about it. Like, you talk about hating your family. Do you understand what family meant in that culture? Family was everything in that culture. And so what he's saying is that, you know, you have to think differently even about what family looks like if you're going to follow me. You can't follow the blueprint. You can't follow whatever the cultural norm and just keep doing the same things if you're going to follow me. It has to be different. And so he says, you're going to have to change whatever your blueprint is about whatever is important in life. See, when we make decisions, a lot of us don't even recognize it or realize it, but we make decisions based on what we've been taught and we've been brought up with. And Jesus is saying to us, we have to be different. We have to have our, the transformation of our mind. That's what we kind of talked about last week. Our mind has to change 
because there is something different. We cannot conform to the pattern of this world. We have to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We have to start thinking differently if we're going to have the mind of Christ. And so when we go into Luke chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, here's the Pharisees' response to that. So it goes on, and Jesus tells them this thing, and it says, All the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were complaining, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And I look at this, this passage, and this passage is funny to me. You might be saying, why is that funny? Because Jesus just said that you have to hate your family to follow me. And what was their response? Who was he worried about? I don't know if it was me. I would have some questions for Jesus. I'm like, hold on, Jesus, wait a minute. All right, I'm cool. I understand that, you know, I messed up. I understand that, Jesus. You know, you've always been preaching this love thing. But you're telling me now I have to hate people? Like, so I got some questions. I want to understand that part a little bit more. Let's break that down for me more, Jesus. That's what I want to understand. But that wasn't the Pharisees' response, was it? What were they focused on? They were focused on who Jesus was hanging out with. See, the Pharisees were, were used to sacrifice. They've heard Jesus talk before. They don't care about sacrifice. They've sacrificed. They follow rules. They follow laws. They're, they're good with that. Okay, Jesus, you, okay, we can follow that rule. But the thing that they did not have, they did not understand Jesus. So they were there with them, listening to him, hearing these things, but they didn't get Jesus. And they understood sacrifice. They had no problem with doing those things. They had a problem with who he was with. And then what we're going to look into is Jesus' response to that. And I, and I tell you, man, I want to be like Jesus. Because the way Jesus responds is so good. I wish I could respond like Jesus. Because how many of you guys have people that are just constantly coming at you? Or just constantly like trying to pick apart what you're doing? Or constantly against you? Or constantly your enemy? Or just... They're just constantly against you. And Jesus' response is, I'm going to tell you a story. And if you get it, you get it. If you don't, you don't. I want to be able to do that. I want to be able to do that and not have to worry because when somebody comes at me, the first thing I want to do is I want to put up my shields and, and I want to fight and I want to go back at them. You, are you gonna, talking about me? Well, what about this? And I want to go point out everything that's wrong with them and I want to fight and I want to you know, defend and do all these different kinds of things. I want to be like Jesus. I want to start having that kind of attitude because how freeing is that, really? It says, okay, that's what you think about me? Well, let me tell you a story. If you get it, you get it. You don't, you don't. It's on you. If you have an ear, hear it. If you don't, oh well. Like, that's, that's the kind of attitude I want to I have. And this is what Jesus responds to the Pharisees with, with that kind of mindset. And so if we're going to be like Jesus, if we're going to be conformed to his image, one of the things we got to ask ourselves is how do I live among sinners. And I say quote unquote sinners because if we all know that for all sin and fall short of the glory of God, we know that in theory. But a lot of times we look at people and we say, those sinners over there. And we have this kind of mindset with them. But if we're going to be like Jesus, we have to figure out how we're going to live among sinners. And if I asked you guys, how many of you guys live among sinners? Every hand would go up. 
everybody starts thinking immediately of people, <laughs> immediately, oh, there, that center, that center right there, yeah, this one across the street. We will have all these thought processes of all these centers that are, that are in our lives. And so, but we have to ask ourselves, we are in the world. We're not living in a commune. You know, we're out amongst everyone. So how do we live among the world? How do we live among sinners? And so we're going to, to say this thing, if we're going to have the mind of Christ, we have to have the heart of the Father. So these things, they go hand in hand. If I'm going to have the mind of Christ, if I'm going to think like Jesus, if I'm going to, to think that way, then that means that that's going to bring me to having the heart of the Father. Because Jesus, when they, he, he was one with the Father, he had the heart of the Father with him. And so if I'm going to have the mind of Christ, I'm going to have the heart of the Father. So what is the heart of the Father? So Jesus goes on to talk about these parables, and we're going to go into so Luke chapter 15, the next verses down, 3 through 7. I'm going to read through that. So Jesus told him this parable. What man among you who has a hundred sheep and loses one of them does not leave the ninety-nine in the open field and go after the lost one until he finds it? And when he has found it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. And coming home, he calls his friends and neighbors together, saying to them, Rejoice with me, because I have lost my found sheep. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. So he tells them this parable, and there's, there's two ways you can look at a sheep if you're in this kind of situation. And I mentioned in the earlier service that I'm not going to pretend like I understand the shepherd-sheep dynamic. It's not where I'm from. You know, even Caleb, he's out there, he's, got, he's learning a little bit about what that's like, but I don't, I don't kind of get it. I don't get the connection and all those kinds of things. So when I think of having a hundred sheep and I'm taking care of them and one wanders off, I'm not too worried about it. So we could look at a, a sheep that's, that's going off. You can look at it two ways. You can look at it as stupid, rebellious, is getting what it deserves. That's stupid sheep. Why they wander? We're all following this way. Why is it going over there? Well, you get what he deserves. He gets devoured by a lion or something. That's on him. But I'm not going after that sheep. I got all these 99 right here. I'm not worried about that. That's how, we could, that's how we, I would look at the sheep. Another way to look at the sheep is that it's in trouble. It needs help. It can't make it its own. its own. It's injured. Maybe it's broken. It's hurt. Maybe it needs me. So you can look at this sheep two ways. It's stupid and rebellious and getting what it's deserved, or it's in trouble and needs help. And so I think about that is how do we think about people? Do we look at people, the, the sinners in our lives? Do we look at them and say, what are stupid? They're just rebellious. They don't want to follow God. That's on them. They're getting what they deserve. Oh, well, I keep telling them they keep making that stupid decision. So they get what they deserve. Or do we look at people who are doing the things that they're doing and the struggles that they have, do we look at them as that they're in trouble? Or maybe they're just broken, they're hurting, they need help? Do we look at them as the reason why people are doing the dumb things that they do is because they have a sin nature that they need rescued from? How do we view sinners? So if we're going to have the mind of Christ, we got to start thinking differently about things. I know for me, I know there's a couple people in my life when I look at them, I'm like, oh, well, that's on them. That's not the mind of Christ. That's not the heart of the Father. 
and, and that's how we got to think about it. If I'm going to do this, how am I going to view other people? So Jesus goes on and he continues and he goes to the parable of the lost coin. And he says this, or what woman who has 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. And when she finds it, she calls her women friends and neighbors together saying, rejoice with me because I found the silver coin I lost. I tell you, in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. And the same thing, the same thing, we can look at this coin in two ways. Maybe you're rich. Maybe you have a lot of money. You lose a coin or you lose a day's wage or something like that. You're like, it's whatever. It's not that big a deal. It's not that much money. It's not that valuable. So I'm not going to put that time and effort in trying to find this money because it's really not that big a deal. Or you can look at it or someone like me who's not very rich. I need to find that coin because that's valuable. I need that money. So I'm going to tear up the house until I find it. I'm missing $20 right now, and I'm still looking for it. Looking in my car, I need that money. But just think about this in your life. What is something that you have lost that you've searched frantically for? Somebody give me an example. Something that you have personally lost, you can remember. Man, I've looked all, I remember going crazy looking for it. Good. Baseball glove. <laughs> was that? Diamond earring. I remember when Dana lost our engagement ring. Well, her engagement ring that I gave her. I was upset about that. <laughs> but I can remember her, how crazy she was looking for it because she saw it as valuable. She searched all over for that thing. And I, I think about this. How many of you guys have lost a cell phone? And you're like, where's my cell phone? You're tearing up the house looking for a cell phone. There's not, there's not many people who's going to take a cell phone and be like, oh, well, it's lost, whatever. Most people, when they, find, when they have something that's valuable to them, they go and they go get it. They're going to do whatever it is to find it. Think about people. Do you, do you see people that way? Do you see people as just, they're just, that's just another person? Or do we see each person as valuable because they, are the imi- they bear the image of God? Think about that. I was reading this this morning from C.S. Lewis, and he says this, and C.S. Lewis is, is funny, John. You're talking about hymns and how they don't roll off the tongue. Neither does the way C.S. Lewis talks either. It sounds like a hymn. And so I'm sit, I'm like, I have to sit and like, what is this saying? It's the same way with hymns. We need the praise team back because I'm trying to sing and I'm trying to understand, and it's a lot going on there. So... <laughs> So, um, so anyway, C.S. Lewis says this, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Think about that. He says there are no ordinary people. This is not just another person that you're talking to. He says nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, those are mortal. And their life to ours is like the life of a gnat. But it is the immortals with whom we joke, who we work with those we marry, those we snub, those we exploit. That's the immortal, the eternal. So this, is, this does not mean, and here we, here we go with the wording, this does not mean that we are to be perpetually solemn. We must play, but our merriment must be of that kind which exists between people who have 
from the outset taking each other seriously. No flippancy, no superiority, and no presumptions. And he said, what he's saying is, yes, we must have a good time. Yes, we're not supposed to be rigid people, but you need to take each person that you come across with seriously. Because eternity is at stake with each person that we come across with. We're not just talking about just another person or just another thing that's here. The consequences the people, when, when they are lost, are huge. It is, it is a huge thing when someone is lost, what's going to happen? Do we see people as that valuable? The sinners that we have in our lives, those people we thought of when, you know, when I said, what sinners do you have among you? Do we think of them in that way that eternity is at stake in their lives? And so he keeps going on. He says, and our charity must be a real and costly love with deep feeling for the sins in spite of which we love the sinner, not just mere tolerance or indulgence. Next to Jesus himself, your neighbor is the holiest object presented to your senses. Think about that for a second. The people you come in contact with every single day are so important. The people that anger you every single day are so important. Do we find them valuable? Are we willing to tear the house up to find them? So Jesus goes on and he says and tells us another parable. And his next parable is the prodigal son. And as we go into this parable, I want to just say this out front. The focus of this parable is not the, not the prodigal son. I don't know why people named it this or made it that title, because that's not the focus of this verse. You've got to remember the context of what we're talking about. See, remember, it says all the Pharisees were being upset with Jesus because he was welcoming sinners and eating with them. So Jesus is telling them this parable in response to that attitude. So has nothing. So all the other parables are not about the thing that was lost. It was about the attitude of what, what happens with the lost. So just keep that in mind that it's not the, the, the prodigal son is not the focus. The focus is and what we're going to look at today. The focus is the heart of the father and the heart of the second son. That's the things we want to focus on. So as we go through this, keep that in mind. That is the focus. So Luke chapter 15, 11 through 32. He also said a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, father, give me a share of this state I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate with foolish living. After he had spent everything, a severe famine struck that country and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. He longed to eat the fill from the carob pods the pigs were eating, but no one would give him any. And when he came to his senses, he says, how many of my father's hired servants have more food than enough, more than enough food? And here I am dying of hunger. I'll get up, go to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your higher hands. So he got up and went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. Note the father's response. He ran and threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer to be worthy to be called your son. 
But the father told his slaves, quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet to bring the fattened calves and slaughter it. And let's celebrate with the feast because the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field and he came near the house. He heard music and dancing. So he summoned one of the servants and asked what these things meant. His, your brother is here, he told him, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has him back and is safe and sound. Now note the attitude of the brother. Then he became angry and did not want to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him. But he replied to his father, look, I have been slaving many years for you, and I have never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered a fattened calf with him. Son, he said to him, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Think about the two attitudes to this thing. See, it's not about the, the prodigal son. It's not about him. It's about the heart of the father versus the heart of religious people. That's what Jesus is trying to get across. The heart of the father, when the law, see, it said in, this, in the part when his son, it says he came to his senses. What that means when he came to his senses means he has repented. He has had a change of mind. And when he saw that, he was filled with compassion. That's the heart of the father is compassion towards the lost, longing for them to come home longing for them to know him. That is the heart of the father. See, the Pharisees had the heart of the religious people who it was like those people over there. You know what's interesting in here is that when it talks about, when, when the son talks about his brother, he doesn't even call him his brother. He says, your son. Did you notice that? The servant says, your brother has come home. When he goes to talk to his dad, he doesn't even call him his brother. He says, your son. That's the heart of religious people. Those people, they're not like me. I'm better. That's the heart of religious people. And if we're going to have the mind of Christ, we cannot have that heart. Our heart is for the lost. We want the lost. We are seeking the lost. We are welcoming the lost because that is the heart of the Father. And so as we look at the heart of religious people, I have one more verse, a couple verses I want to go over, and that's in Luke chapter 7. So you can turn your Bibles there, 36 through 50. And that's where we're going to go. So the question is this, why do we view sinners the way that we do? And I, again, whenever I say sinners, I'm saying quote-unquote sinners. But why do we view people the way that we do? And Jesus is going to uh, kind of show us, shed, shed light on our hearts. Again, so we're in Luke chapter 7, 36 through 50. Then one of the Pharisees invited him, talking about Jesus, to eat with him. And he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And a woman in the town who was a sinner found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. And she brought an alabaster jar of fragrant oil and stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears. She wiped his feet with the hair of her head, kissing them and anointing them with the fragrant oil. Then when a Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, This man, if he were a prophet, he would know who and what kind of woman this is touching him. She's a sinner. She's a sinner. 
Jesus replied to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Teacher, he said, say it. A creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Since they could not pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one who forgave more. You have judged correctly, he told him. Turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she with her tears has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with olive oil, but she has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved much. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And I ask the question again, why do we view sinners the way that we do? And I believe the reason why we do is because we forget who we are. We forget that we are sinners as well. See, we think that we've, we're pretty good people. Yeah, I need saved, but I'm still a pretty good person. And I have that mindset myself, and I even just think about when, when I was growing up, when I was 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, even how I was when I first got saved, I forget who I was then. And I still look at people as like, oh, I cannot believe that they're doing that. And I just have, I look down on them with contempt, like that person over there, they're getting what they deserve. Do I forget who Andre Cooper was before I came to know the Lord? How easily we forget who we were and who we are. And I'm telling you, if everybody, if there was a, a magic thing to put everybody's secrets of our thought life or things that we've done even this past week, we would be shocked and appalled about ourselves. But we forget that we are sinners too. And I would ask you this question, who, if, we, if you had to pick which one you were in this parable, who would you be? Would you be Simon or the woman? You see, the, this woman, she's a picture of what it, mean, what it looks like to forget the cultural norm. I'm not following this blueprint because once she saw Jesus and she understood herself and she understood Jesus, she says, forget the cultural norms. I'm going after Jesus. And how I know that, could you imagine, do you you guys understand the culture of what happens when a woman would go into a Pharisee's house and then touch a man? Like that's, that's a no, no. You don't do that in their culture. And so she's like, forget that. I don't, the, this, this blueprint of what things I'm supposed to do, this is Jesus. Everything else goes away. I'm for Jesus. And, that, and that's, is that who we are? Is that who I am? That I'm ready to throw away this blueprint, this American blueprint that's been presented to me, that I've been taught and I've been fed my whole life. Am I willing to put it away so I can be like Jesus? That's what we have to start doing. We have to start thinking differently. And one of the ways you have to start thinking differently is how do I view the world around me? And one thing I would just say, because I don't, I don't know where everyone's at. Maybe you are the sinner. Maybe that, that's you that's here. Maybe you're the sinner. And you've had people look at you with contempt. Or maybe you have people 
not look at you the right way. Maybe you've had religious people look at you the wrong way. And I would say to you, that is not Jesus. Jesus loves the sinner. Jesus desires the sinner. He came to chase after the sinner, not so you can stay where you're at, so you can come and be a part of that family and all the promises that he has can be available for you so you can be set free and you can be made different. That's what Jesus has for you. So if you are here and and you are the sinner, Jesus wants you. Don't leave today without finding Jesus because he wants to change your life. He wants to give you something brand new and something awesome. He wants to clean you up and make you into a total new creation. But that's what Jesus wants for you. And so we're going to close in a word of prayer with just the last thing to say. Let's change our minds. Let's be more like Jesus. And let's start looking at people differently. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for not turning your back on me. Thank you so much for, even though I was lost, that you came and searched for me. God, thank you so much that when I had a moment of repentance, God, that you embraced me. You had compassion on me. Thank you so much for changing me and making me more like your son. And so I just pray, Lord, that you will help me, you will help all of us here to have your mind, to have your heart, that we want to seek the lost. And so I just pray, Lord, that you would just do a work in all of us and that you will be glorified through us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You're dismissed.